We would like to welcome you to another edition of The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9, of course, and on your computer, www.citr.ca. My name is Gavin Walker, and we're here every Monday night with some of the very best in jazz music. And this evening we have a, a wonderful jazz feature to play for you, and of course so many other areas and music to explore until well after the witching hour of 12 midnight. So we're here for three plus hours. So if you can join us for the whole show, that's wonderful. And if you uh, can just join us for a little while, that's equally as wonderful. Uh, We appreciate your ears, and we hope that you appreciate um, the music that... um, this show presents to you. Our jazz feature this evening is a very special album, and of course it's an artist and a group that we have played uh, on the show quite frequently. But the object of all the jazz features this month, the month of November, is, as I mentioned before, um, are, or are, (laughs) not is, are recordings that... When they were first issued, and of course when they were issued on LP, they got terrible ratings. Um, The critics dissed them. Uh, They gave them low ratings. Uh, Downbeat Magazine, the the Jazz Bible, as it was called, uh, had a rating system where they gave five stars to a great record like Kind of Blue, um, and uh, one star to a horrible record, <laughs> and two, two stars to uh, a record that was a little uh, less horrible, etc., uh, etc. Et so all the albums that we're featuring this month got no more than two and a half stars. And, of course, they didn't deserve it. Um, in many cases, uh, albums that were given very low ratings. There were a lot of albums that deserved that, certainly. Um, but the albums that, um, for instance, the great Dave Brubeck album, uh, Take Five, which is everybody's favorite, um, with the original version of Take Five on it. Yeah, Time Out was the name of the album, came out on Columbia Records. It got two and a half stars out of five. Of course, that's a classic. And that's probably the best-selling record that Brubeck ever ever did. And, and it's in so many people's collections, even if they're not super jazz fans. Um, an album, Miles Davis's Kind of Blue, of course, got five stars, and that was the highest rating. And, and of course, Brubeck's album deserved at least four and a half to five stars. But it got two and a half. Anyway, that's the whole premise. Um, all of the albums that we're playing this month have become classics. They're considered to be pivotal recordings and important uh, recordings for people that enjoy jazz music. So tonight's album is no different. The band is Art Blakey and his Jazz Messengers, and it's this particular edition. The trumpet player was the young virtuoso Lee Morgan, um, sadly taken from us at a very young age, of course. There was a movie made about Morgan's life uh, just recently uh, called uh, They Called Him Morgan. 
and it was at the uh, Vancouver Film Festival. A lot of people saw that movie, and I thought it was a great uh, documentary. Uh, Lee Morgan on trumpet. The musical director of the band was a young man who was just coming on the scene. His name is very well known today, and he is still very much with us. I'm talking about Wayne Shorter was the musical director of the band and, of course, the band's tenor saxophonist. On piano was Bobby Timmons. Bobby Timmons, originally from Philadelphia, learned how to play the piano in church and kind of brought the the, the gospel feeling uh, um, to his compositions and his piano playing mixed in with the um, advanced piano stylings of people like Bud Powell, etc., etc., um, Jimmy Merritt was the bass player, and of course the great Art Blakey, one of the foremost jazz drummers, leading the band on drums. And of course, Blakey had um, various editions over the years of the Jazz Messengers, starting in uh, officially in 1954, although he had a, a Jazz Messengers way back in 1947 with a bunch of young guys. Um, but then he uh, went... Uh, he, as an independent for many years, and, and uh, in 1954 brought the Jazz Messengers back to the fore. So Blakey um, was uh, one of those people, and he had so many editions of the Jazz Messengers. It was very interesting uh, right up to his um, death in 1990. And, of course, so many people um, came through the band. But... I've told this story before. I'm not going to uh, reiterate it too much, but I did have a long conversation many, many years ago with Art Blakey. And um, he told me in his own funny way that this band that we're going to hear this evening was his favorite. Uh, Because I asked him, I said, do you have a favorite uh, edition of of, of the Jazz Messenger? He said, they all are, man. They all are. He kind of looked at me funny, and I thought, oh, gee, Gavin, you're asking a really stupid question here. But then he laughed, and he said, especially, he said, they're all my favorites, but he said, especially the band with Lee Morgan, Wayne Shorter, Bobby Timmons, Jimmy Merritt, myself. (laughs) So that's the band we're going to hear this evening. They recorded a lot. They were together for um, about uh, almost... uh, two and a half years with basically the same personnel. There was the odd uh, time when Bobby Timmons wasn't available and and his position was taken over on the piano by Walter Davis Jr. But basically the personnel remained stable uh, in this edition of the Jazz Messengers. And uh, interestingly enough, and of course they recorded a lot, um, and then things changed in 1961. People left, and, and, and uh, the messengers expanded to six people, um, etc. But this particular edition uh, is very important. Now, this album was the first official, official release of this edition of the Jazz Messengers, and it was done for Blue Note Records March the 6th, 1960, The album came out, and it was called The Big Beat, and um, it's a wonderful recording, and it was, uh, as I said, the first official uh, release uh, of this edition of The Jazz Messengers. And, of course, the album, when it was reviewed in Downbeat Magazine, 
they gave it two and a half stars and completely dissed the, the whole album. They criticized everything about it. And uh, a rather sad review. But interestingly enough, Art Blakey was a big enough name. Uh, I'm sure he didn't care about the review. And I'm sure it really didn't affect sales either because once this album got to be heard on various jazz radio programs and so on. People um, really went for it. And, of course, I think the sales of this album were, were quite good. So that's the premise. Uh, this is the album. This is the band. So uh, the album, The Big Beat, Blue Note Records, Art Blakey and his Jazz Messengers, Lee Morgan on trumpet, Wayne Shorter, tenor saxophone, Bobby Timmons on piano, Jimmy Merritt on bass, and, of course, Art Blakey on drums. Um, Wayne Shorter, of course, was able to bring his unique tenor saxophone stylings to the band, but also his compositional abilities. And that's why Blakey made him musical director of this uh, edition. And Wayne remained that way right up until he left in 1964 to join Miles Davis. The six pieces we're going to hear on this uh, album we open with Wayne Shorter's composition called The Chess Players, and that features Art Blakey doing his magnificent backbeat on this. Uh, this whole piece just rocks, really. The Chess Players, written by Wayne Shorter. That's the uh, opening track. The second track is another Wayne Shorter composition dedicated to Blakey's young daughter. And her name was Sakina, and it's called Sakina's Vision. Great tune. Tune number three was written by an ex-jazz messenger, an alumnus of the band, trumpeter Bill Hardman, and uh, he wrote this little tune. It's kind of bluesy and funky at the same time. It's called Politely, and that's tune number three. Tune number four is a classic by Bobby Timmons. Uh, Oscar Brown Jr. soon added words to this uh, melody, and it's a beautiful tune, great tune. It's called That Dare. And written by Bobby Timmons, and it was a, a big favorite for the band and uh, a big, uh, kind of a minor hit for this band, Bobby Timmons' version of Dat Dare. Tune number five is an interesting tune written by Wayne Shorter. It's dedicated to the great Lester Young, the president, as he was known, one of the most unique and wonderful voices of the tenor saxophone. He died in 1959. And uh, this is a tribute to Lester Young. But it's not a sad piece of music. As uh, you know, that Charles Mingus wrote a great tune, Goodbye Pork Pie Hat, uh, dedicated to Lester Young. And that's a very sad piece of music. This is a very uplifting piece of music. This is Wayne Shorter. I think he had the idea that Lester Young was leaving Earth and going to a better place. So the tune is quite optimistic, and that's tune number five, Lester Left Town. The only standard of the date is the final tune, as written by Harold Arland, and uh, it's a Wayne Shorter arrangement of a great standard tune called It's Only a Paper Moon. So that's our jazz feature this evening. Amazingly, two and a half stars, and it's become a classic album, and we're going to hear it right now. Here are the Jazz Messengers.
Thank you. 
Thank you.
as the jazz messengers ride off into the sunset. Yes, and that's our jazz feature this evening. An album that initially was dissed by the jazz critics and given a terrible um, rating, two and a half stars out of five, and just torn apart. (laughs) Unfortunately... Art Blakey survived, the Jazz Messengers survived, and this album sold very well, and it's now considered an essential classic. And we heard the album in its entirety. It's called The Big Beat, and it was issued on Blue Note Records and recorded at Rudy Van Gelder Studios, March the 6th, 1960. And it was the first album, the first official album uh, issued by this particular edition of the Jazz Messengers, who Art Blakey has hinted was his very favorite edition. The people involved here, the great, and scarcely out of his teens on on this uh, date, Lee Morgan on trumpet. Wayne Shorter was the new voice in the band, and he brought not only his unique tenor saxophone stylings to the band, but his compositional and arranging abilities as well, and was appointed by Art Blakey as the band's musical director. Bobby Timmons, who wrote so many of the hits for the band, wonderful piano player, gospel-influenced piano player. Uh, he learned, Bobby learned how to play in church and sort of brought that concept, um, the, that kind of gospel feel to his piano playing as well as uh, the sophistication of people like Bud Powell and Elmo Hope and various other piano players. Bobby created his own individual style. A wonderful piano player. On bass, Art Blakey always referred to him as the workhorse of the band, and he was, um, keeping time and uh, delivering that big sound and solid solid time uh, feel. And, of course, anybody that plays with Art Blakey has got to be a strong player. Jimmy Merritt on bass, and he was also from Philadelphia. And the tunes by this great band. We open with uh, two Wayne Shorter compositions. The first one was uh, that featured Art Blakey's relentless backbeat and gave the, the tune its character. And it was entitled The Chess Players, written by Wayne Shorter, of course. And the second tune was dedicated to Blakey's little daughter. Her name is Sakina, and Wayne Shorter wrote the tune in honor of her and called it Sakina's Vision. Tune number three was kind of a bluesy, sort of a sneaky feel kind of a tune, written by an ex-jazz messenger, Bill Hardman, trumpet player, and he wrote that tune called Politely, and that was, um, the band had uh, played it in earlier years, and Blakey decided to record it here great tune. And the next tune, of course, was uh, a big hit. Uh, Bobby Timmons wrote the tune, and Oscar Brown Jr. later on added words to the tune. It's called Dat Dare. And then the next tune, tune number five, was dedicated to the great voice of the tenor saxophone who had passed away in 1959, Lester Young, known as the president. And Wayne Shorter's tune was... um, Very optimistic. Uh, In other words, Lester had passed away, but he was going to a better place. And it it, it was kind of reflected that optimism, uh, even though everyone was 
devastated that Lester had died and uh, and left us. But um, Wayne's idea was that Lester was going to a better place. So he entitled it Lester Left Town. The final tune was a standard tune written by Harold Arland and Billy Rose. Uh, it's a great tune called It's Only a Paper Moon. And uh, that featured Wayne Shorter's arrangement of that standard tune. So that was it, the six tunes on the album The Big Beat, recorded, as I said, March the 6th, 1960, the first official recording of this incredible edition of Art Blakey's Jazz Messengers. Our jazz feature this evening, and of course uh, this month, we're um, displaying albums on the jazz feature that uh, initially were dissed by the critics and have become jazz classics, and this one is a jazz classic, The Big Beat. Hope you enjoyed the music, and uh, we'll be back very shortly with uh, some more fine music in a very few moments. We have a few uh, announcements to play for you, and we'd like to tell you that you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on the web, www.citr.ca. And my name is Gavin Walker, and we'll be right back after these messages. Theater and Disorders Shindig is back for the 34th year and is hosted at Hastings Mill Brewing Company, formerly known as Pat's Pub, every Tuesday night. We've curated a spicy roster of local musicians, and there are 27 bands, 27 winners, but someone has to take home the Shindig Windig crown from last year's champ, Little Sprout. Come watch bands jam out, have fun, and battle it out for some rad prizes provided by our sponsors. Sierra Fox Postering, Nimbus Recording, Cannery Brewery, Pandora's Box, Fader Master Studios, Rain City Recorders, Mint Records, Music Waste, Live from Thunderbird Radio Hell, Six Cent Press, Blue Light Studios, Hastings Mill Brewery, Print Print. Come out to Patch Pub November 14th to see Late Night with Andy Resto featuring Sexy Merlin, Last Forest, and Pleasure Blimps. CITR and Discorder. But are you a true friend? Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for discounts in Kitsilano and around UBC at On the Fringe Hair Design, Rufus Guitar Shop, Stormcrow Ale House, The Bike Kitchen, UBC Bookstore, Australia Boot Company, and so many more.
with that introduction, you know that you're going to hear about the weather, and it's going to be wet. I'm afraid there isn't too much good news in the weather. <laughs> Unfortunately, it is November, and, uh, you know, November is that kind of a month. So tonight, showers windy with a low of 7. Uh, tomorrow, periods of rain and windy with a low of 7 and a high of 10. Same for Wednesday. Exactly the same forecast. So tomorrow and Wednesday, periods of rain. Thursday, things ease up a little bit, and we're only going to get showers, but you're still going to get wet with a low of 5 and a high of 7. Friday, periods of rain once again with a low of 6 and a high of 8. And the weekend coming up, rain, Saturday and Sunday with lows of 6 and highs up to about 10. So um, umbrellas, jackets, uh, rainproof boots, uh, all that kind of stuff. It's November in Vancouver, and there's never a water shortage in the month of November. Never, ever. <laughs> there you go. And uh, that's it. Yeah. You're listening to CITR 101.9, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus, located on the traditional, unceded, Coast Salish territory of the Hunkaminam-speaking Musqueam people. Today is the birthday anniversary of a great piano player who is uh, always um, underrated. People, uh, you know, they talk about so many wonderful piano players in, in jazz music. We have um, the, the, the legends like Thelonious Monk and Bud Powell and, uh, and so many others. And then, of course, the young legends, McCoy Tyner, Herbie Hancock, people like that. People don't talk about Hampton Hawes. Hampton Hawes was a self-taught pianist. Uh, he was the son of a very prominent minister uh, in Los Angeles, and uh, he learned um, learned the piano on his own and became one of the most distinctive players. Um, Hampton Hawes was just uh, a, a giant. He had a very interesting life as well. Um, he His career at times was uh, blighted by uh, jail sentences and, and narcotics. And he is uh, one of the very, very few. Uh, he was given a, a really nasty uh, sentence after he broke parole in the uh, late uh, 50s and was given, uh, uh, met a hanging judge and uh, uh, gave him a, a really severe sentence for uh, drug possession. And what happened was that uh, Hampton Hawes wrote to President John F. Kennedy and asked for a pardon. Interesting, huh? And um, he said, on the basis that I, I'm, an, I'm an artist, I, I, I made a social mistake, I'm free of drugs now, and um, I need to be playing music, basically, and, and out in the world, and, and I'm, I'm known, I ha have had uh, scads of recordings, and so on, I'm not an unknown, and uh, I, I really owe it to my audience, to myself, and so on and so forth. And Kennedy 
gave him a pardon, a presidential pardon, and Hampton Hawes was free and uh, never looked back. The only sad part about Hampton Hawes, he would have actually lived to a ripe old age, but in 1977, he suffered a brain aneurysm and, uh, and died suddenly and uh, taken away from us far too soon. But this great piano player, we're going to hear him right now, with uh, a trio with uh, Red Mitchell on bass and Chuck Thompson on drums. He's going to play some blues for you right now. Hampton Hawes.
We heard three pieces of music by the great pianist Hampton Hawes and uh, celebrating his uh, birthday anniversary, which would be today. And uh, Hampton Hawes, one of the uh, wonderful uh, pianists of his uh, generation, self-taught, as I mentioned before, was raised in in Los Angeles and, and based there for many years and uh, recorded uh, quite a bit. He was born in 1928, November 13, 1928, and died, sad to say, of a brain aneurysm quite young, May the 22nd, 1977, and uh, had an incredible um, history in music. So we heard two pieces by his uh, uh, trio recorded um, in L.A. in the mid-'50s with uh, Red Mitchell on bass, and Chuck Thompson on drums, and we heard Blues the Most was the uh, first tune we heard, uh, composition by Hampton Hawes, and just showed his uh, ability to uh, get around the piano and and play the blues. It's really hard to, um, you know, people say, well, (laughs) self-taught. You know, he he really had no piano lessons. He he got books and, and, and taught himself how to play. And what is not really known is that he was a great influence on Oscar Peterson. 
And uh, Oscar got a lot of stuff from, uh, from Hampton Hawes. And, of course, um, Oscar acknowledged Hampton Hawes as well as being uh, um, an influence on his own playing. And uh, Oscar was not really read, ready with a lot of praise for other piano players, but Hampton Hawes was very special in his mind. So there you go. Um, so the first two tunes, I, uh, we heard blues the most, and the second tune was um, the whole standard uh, called Somebody Loves Me. And that was uh, Hampton Hawes' trio with Red Mitchell on bass, Chuck Thompson on drums. And the final tune was uh, entitled Hip, and that was written by Harold Land, the tenor saxophonist, on the date. That's from a later date. As a matter of fact, uh, that was one of the um, last dates that Hampton recorded before his uh, unfortunate uh, uh, jail sentence, which took him off the scene until he was pardoned by President Kennedy. So we had that wonderful record. It's from an album called For Real, and it featured Hampton on piano, with Harold Land on tenor saxophone, who wrote that, that tune, uh, Scott LaFaro, the late Scott LaFaro on bass, and Frank Butler on drums. And the tune, as I mentioned before, was called Hip. So these three tunes um, dedicated to the memory of this incredible piano player who remains to this day um, somewhat underrated and very not deserving uh, uh, um, of his underrated status, Hampton Hawes. We're going to um, continue with a tribute to <laughs> November 13th, which is, is, is today. But in 1953, November the 13th was Friday the 13th. And we're going to take you back to a recording date that was done for Prestige Records by Thelonious Monk. And the date was full of pitfalls. Um, the people involved uh, in this record are, of course, Thelonious Monk on piano and his favorite saxophonist at the time, a young and still developing Sonny Rollins. And um, on French horn, Julius Watkins. And the reason why Julius Watkins is on this date is that Monk's trumpet player, uh, Ray Copeland, his regular trumpet player at the time that he was using, uh, took sick, was unavailable, and Julius Watkins was called in kind of at the last moment and uh, on very, very short notice. On bass, Percy Heath and a young drummer, uh, this was his recording debut, as far as I know, a uh, young New York drummer named Willie Jones, uh, not to be confused with Philly Joe Jones or the other Joneses. This is Willie Jones, and uh, he had never recorded before, so I guess he was a l uh, perhaps a little nervous being in the recording studio for the first time. Friday the 13th, of course, was fraught with other uh, things. <laughs> On the way to the gig, uh, Thelonious Monk and Sonny Rollins were in a taxi, and they got involved in, a, in, a, in an accident. Uh, the taxi hit a motorcycle. So <laughs> they were already late for the recording date, 
and of course uh, the cops had to be called and uh, so on and so forth. And they finally arrived after uh, they they weren't hurt at all, of course, um, but they finally arrived and uh, began to record. And so this particular tune uh, that Monk brought to the date, he as a matter of fact, he brought um, three compositions uh, that were brand new at the time, and and this was one of them. And Monk didn't have a title for it, and uh, it's only four bars long, and it repeats itself every four bars. That, that's all there is to the tune, so it's a challenge for improvisers as well. And Sonny Rollins delivers a great solo on this, as does Monk and, and Julius Watkins. They, they all play fine on this. Um, Monk was asked what the title was, and he, he said, I don't know, it's just a tune, um, uh, Friday the 13th, and that's what it was called, and uh, published under that title, Friday the 13th. So here then is this incredible recording, Thelonious Monk on piano, leading Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone, Julius Watkins on French horn, Percy Heath on bass, and Willie Jones on drums. And Friday the 13th. Thank you. 
Only Thelonious Monk could compose a tune like that, four bars only, and repeated uh, ad infinitum. But uh, fascinating uh, study in uh, improvisation by everybody in the band. And, of course, that was uh, Monk didn't have a title for this. And, of course, with all the stuff that happened on that particular day, which happened to be November 13th, 1953, which was a Friday the 13th. So Monk decided to call it Friday the 13th. An extended performance uh, with uh, Thelonious Monk on piano and um, the ever-growing Sonny Rollins on tenor saxophone. And um, I love Sonny during this period, too. uh, uh, Marvelous playing. And Julius Watkins on French horn, Percy Heath on bass, and a young drummer just making his recording debut, Willie Jones. And um, the Thelonious Monk Quintet, recorded for uh, originally for Prestige Records, Friday the 13th. Mm-hmm. We are going to uh, take a brief break and tell you you are listening to The Jazz Show on CITR FM 101.9 or on the web www.citr.ca. And uh, just tell you uh, about a couple of websites that are very important. The website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society is very important because it uh, gives you the whole schedule at Frankie's, um, which, of course, is Vancouver, one of Vancouver's leading jazz clubs. And that's choreographed by the great Corey Weeds, who was... Uh, very busy man these days, but uh, he does all the programming for uh, for Frankie's. And so many um, wonderful musicians are performing there. So the best way to find out who is playing and who you want to hear is to get on the website of the Coastal Jazz and Blues Society, which is coastaljazz.ca. And, of course, for those of you that don't know, Coastal Jazz and Blues Society are the people that bring you the big jazz festival every year. And they also are backers of Frankie's Jazz Club, which, of course, is located on Beatty Street, right across the street from B.C. Place, right beside the Georgian Court Hotel. So, to get on to uh, that website is um, imperative. And it's a good one uh, because at Frankie's, for instance, you can book a table you, uh, for as many people as, as you wish. You can pay in advance. You can do all that stuff on that particular website. And, of course, it covers uh, not only uh, all the scheduling at Frankie's. It covers uh, all the um, individual concerts uh, over the course of a year that are sponsored by Coastal Jazz and Blues Society. It's a very comprehensive website, and uh, one of the essentials if you're going to find out about jazz here in Vancouver, uh, jazz and improvised music. So, coastaljazz.ca. And another fine website is vancouverjazz.com. That's a good one, too. Um, That's choreographed and put together by my old friend Brian Nation, who keeps that site up and running, and there's all kinds of good links on there that you can browse around and uh, spend a lot of time on on that website. Very informative as well. 
So that's coastaljazz.ca and vancouverjazz.com. And we'll be back. So you're a member of CITR and Discorder, but are you a true friend? Get a Friends of CITR and Discorder card for $20 for discounts in Hastings Sunrise at Beat Street Records, Bomber Brewing, Community Vintage and Thrift, Community Thrift and Vintage, Pandora's Box Rehearsal Studios, Red Cat Records, and Selectors Records. Shindig is back for the 34th year and is hosted at Hastings Mill Brewing Company, formerly known as Pat's Pub, every Tuesday night. We've curated a spicy roster of local musicians, and there are 27 bands, 27 winners, but someone has to take home the Shindig Windig crown from last year's champ, Little Sprout. Come watch bands jam out, have fun, and battle it out for some rad prizes provided by our sponsors. Sierra Fox Postering, Nimbus Recording, Cannery Brewery, Pandora's Box, Fader Master Studios, Rain City Recorders, Mint Records, Music Waste, Live from Thunderbird Radio Hell, Six Cent Press, Blue Light Studios, Hastings Mill Brewery, Print Print. Come out to Pat's Pub November 14th to see Late Night with Andy Resto featuring Sexy Merlin, Last Forest, and Pleasure Blimps. Of course, you're listening to CITR FM 101.9 or on your computer, www.citr.ca. We broadcast from the campus of the University of British Columbia on unceded Musqueam territory. My name's Gavin Walker, and you're listening right now to The Jazz Show. And we're going to turn our attention to uh, this incredible uh, nonette from, uh, they're all based in, in Toronto. There's a couple, there's uh, um, an ex-Vancouverite in, uh, in this band as well. But they're all very well-known musicians, not only in Toronto, but throughout Canada, because they, they tour and uh, uh, they're usually part of all, the, uh, these players are, are part of uh, um, the various jazz festivals in, in, in cities um, across the country. And this is a very fine album. It's called Murphy. And the band is the Karn Davidson Nine. Okay? Uh, now, uh, William Karn, a wonderful trombonist and composer, and his wife, uh, Tara Davidson, who plays the uh, alto saxophone, soprano saxophone, the flute, the clarinet, and William Karn is the trombonist. And uh, both of them put their heads together and decided to form this nonette. And it features um, compositions by all of the people in the band. And, as I mentioned before, the people in the band are um, Tara Davidson, of course. I mentioned William Carn. Uh, they're the co-leaders. Kelly Jefferson, one of the finest voices of the tenor saxophone, is here. He plays soprano, too, and clarinet. Perry White, and Perry's originally from Vancouver, plays the uh, bottom of the saxophone section. He plays baritone saxophone and bass clarinet. Uh, Jason 
uh, Logue on trumpet and flugelhorn, and the great Kevin Turcott uh, is also on trumpet and flugelhorn. Alex Duncan on bass trombone, Andrew Downing on bass, and Ernesto Servini on drums. And the first composition we're going to hear is called Try Again, which is a, a co-composition. Uh, it's a composition by William Carn and arranged by drummer Ernesto Servini. And then we're going to hear a tune. Um, uh, the next tune we're going to hear a tune written by uh, and arranged by Tara Davidson, and it's called Murphy's Law. And uh, we'll end with the title track um, called simply Murphy. Uh, and it's uh, William Carnes' composition arranged by Andy Ballantyne. So three tunes from this uh, marvelous album called Murphy. And uh, it's uh, available on, uh, well, I'll tell you the, uh, the website you can get onto um, and... Uh, find out how to purchase this album. As a matter of fact, what you do, I can tell you right now, the, uh, you can get on to Tara Davidson, all one word, T-A-R-A, Davidson, uh, dot C-A, uh, or William Carn, all one word, dot com. And uh, you can get on the links and uh, find out how to, uh, how to purchase uh, this album because you're going to like what you hear. So, we'll begin with Try Again. That's the opening track. Thank you. 
And there you have it. Three tunes by this uh, incredible band from uh, based in Toronto, uh, the Carn Davidson Nine. And of course, uh, the Carn is uh, trombonist William Carn, and the Davidson is William's wife, Tara Davidson, and she played the alto saxophone, soprano saxophone, flute, and the clarinet. And they both put their heads together and formed this uh, wonderful band with uh, Kelly Jefferson, also on tenor saxophone, soprano saxophone, and clarinet, and my old friend Perry White, originally from Vancouver, on baritone saxophone and bass clarinet, and uh, Jason Logue on trumpet and flugelhorn, and Kevin Turcotte on trumpet and flugelhorn and Alex Duncan on bass trombone, Andrew Downing on bass, and Ernesto Servini on drums. So we heard solos by uh, various members uh, of the band on uh, all of these pieces. The, we opened with uh, a composition by William Carn, arranged by Ernesto Servini, entitled Try Again. Then we moved to a composition and arrangement by Tara Davidson, in the second tune called Murphy's Law. And the final tune was written by William Carn and arranged by Andy Ballantyne, and that was entitled Murphy. Now, this band will likely be touring the jazz festivals this summer. This was recorded uh, in uh, Toronto uh, back in July of, uh, of this year. And uh, the album is called Murphy. And it's the Carn Davidson Nine. And if you want more information, you can. Uh, there's two websites you can check out: taradavidson.ca, T-A-R-A-D-A-V-I-D-S-O-N, taradavidson.ca, and William Carn, one word, of course, um, W-I-L-L-I-A-M-C-A-R-N.com. Either of those will uh, take you to a link where you can, uh, uh, if you're interested, you can purchase this album. It's uh, really a fine uh, band and uh, very creative and very contemporary-sounding jazz music and so well-played and well-recorded as as well. So there you go. Good band. The Karn Davidson Nine. Hope you enjoyed that. We're going to turn things over now to... A gentleman who was part of our jazz feature. I'm talking about um, pianist Bobby Timmons. However, however, he's not going to be playing the piano on this one. Nope. He's going to be playing the vibes, which is an instrument that he liked very much. He's got a, a really nice approach to the instrument. Uh, this is from an album on Prestige, never been issued on CD. Uh, as far as I know, the album is called Chicken and Dumplings, and uh, it's uh, Bobby Timmons' trio. Um, but on this particular piece, it's a long extended minor key blues, and Bobby Timmons uh, switches over to vibes and then finishes the tune on piano. It does a very quick switch. Um, and I've always liked the feel on this tune, uh, so we're going to listen to it. Uh, the bass player is Mickey Bass, and um, his full name is Lee Otis Bass, but he's known as Mickey Bass, and he's still around. 
wonderful bass player, and on drums, Billy Saunders. And all of this was recorded um, in New York City, July 12th. 1965. So here is Bobby Timmons, and the tune is his. It's called The Return of Genghis Khan. Uh-oh, <laughs> something happened to the CD here. Uh, hopefully we can play it. I don't know. I have no idea why it stopped. I think we'll try again and see what happens. Hopefully it will not come to an abrupt stop. Give me two seconds to set it up and... Uh, We'll see what happens.
That was Bobby Timmons, and we had a little slow start to that one. The CD just suddenly stopped, but um, we finally got it going. took a minute, but we heard the, uh, the full version of this great tune called The Return of Genghis Khan, and we heard Bobby first playing the vibes, and um, then, we, then he switched to piano to uh, complete the tune. And uh, he liked to play the vibes. He wasn't uh, uh, an innovator on that instrument, but he got a very, it was a very nice approach. I've always enjoyed the, the feel of this tune. And interestingly enough, this is one Bobby Timmons album which has never been issued on, uh, on CD. And uh, so um, I simply transferred it to uh, a, a disc from uh, a recording, a vinyl recording. And uh, that's it. But it's uh, never been put out on uh, on CD. Sad to say, because the, the whole album is really nice. And this is the, um, the prize track, as far as I'm concerned, anyway. And the return of Genghis Khan. Uh, we heard Bobby with um, Mickey Bass on bass and Billy Saunders on drums. And all of this was recorded July 12, 1965. The great late Bobby Timmons. We're going to change the music now to somebody else and very different style of music here, but very beautiful. We're going to hear a couple of uh, pieces of music by German bassist Eberhard Weber from his album Little Movements, which came out on ECM Records. And Eberhard plays the acoustic and the electric bass. And we're going to hear the great Charlie Mariano on soprano saxophone and a variety of flutes and uh, Rainier Brunninghaus on piano and synthesizer and John Marshall on drums and percussion. And we're going to hear two compositions uh, by Eberhard Weber from this album. The first one is called The Last Stage of a Long Journey. And the second piece of music is entitled a dark spell. So two fascinating um, compositions by this wonderful bassist, composer, Eberhard Weber. And we begin with the last stage of a long journey.
The music of Eberhard Weber, bassist. He played the acoustic and the electric bass on that album. It's an ECM album called Little Movements, and that featured Charlie Mariano on soprano saxophone and various flutes, Rainier Brunninghaus on piano and synthesizer, John Marshall on drums and percussion. And we heard two compositions by Eberhard Weber. The first one was entitled The Last Stage of a Long Journey, and the second tune was entitled A Dark Spell. The fascinating music, hypnotic music of Eberhard Weber. The name of uh, his band, too, when he traveled, um, the band had a name. It was called Colors. There you go, Eberhard Weber and Colors. We're going to play right now a piece of music which um, is very interesting. The actual leader of this date is pianist Cecil Taylor. And it's very interesting. Um, This date was recorded uh, on October 13, 1958 in New York City. The, um, The personnel of the band was not chosen by Cecil Taylor. It was actually chosen by the producer, um, a gentleman, very astute gentleman by the name of Tom Wilson. And Cecil trusted Tom because Tom was a, a, a musician himself and he, he, he knew what everything was about. And also Tom was an African-American. So there was a, there was a level of trust there. And um, so Cecil accepted uh, the fact that John Coltrane would be playing the tenor saxophone, although they had never played together before. Um, the bass, bassist was a, a new gentleman on the scene. His name is Chuck Israels. And so Cecil said, well, as long as he can play, he'll be fine too. And the drummer, it was suggested that Lewis Hayes played drums, and Cecil had heard Lewis Hayes um, at the time with Horace Silver. And he, you know, he said, oh, that's okay too. And on trumpet, Cecil had a preference uh, as the trumpet player. However, Kenny Dorham was chosen to play trumpet with uh, Cecil Taylor. And I'm told that uh, there was a little bit of um, uh, friction between Kenny Dorham and Cecil Taylor on this particular date. I don't, when I listen to this music, and I like it very much, um, I don't hear that that kind of tension. And Cecil obviously is Cecil Taylor, and he's playing his own thing. But uh, Kenny Dorham sounds very strong and wonderful on here, wonderful trumpet player. And Coltrane, of course, is Coltrane. Uh, what can you say? Uh, every, everything works on, on this piece. I think they had some problems. They did a couple of standard tunes, and they had a bit of a, uh, a clash there, but not on this one. This is a Kenny Dorham composition, um, and the, the original title of the album was called Hard Driving Jazz. The leader was Cecil Taylor. So um, now this composition has been called other things, but for the purposes of this album, it was entitled Shifting Down. <laughs> so there you go. And it was a, a, a composition based on the 12-bar blues by Kenny Dorham. This album was later issued under John Coltrane's name because he was the most prominent member, and it was entitled Coltrane Time, 
and it was issued on United Artists Records. But the original uh, album was had Cecil Taylor as the leader, and it was called Hard Driving Jazz. Anyway, with all that esoteric information, we'll get to the music, and the music is good. Here it is, Shifting Down. Thank you. 
That was a date where Cecil Taylor was the actual leader on piano, of course, uh, Chuck Israels on bass, and Lewis Hayes on drums, John Coltrane on tenor saxophone, and the great trumpeter Kenny Dorham. And all of that was recorded October 13, 1958, and that was a composition by Kenny Dorham. It was known by different titles, but for the purposes of this album, because it was called Hard Driving Jazz, that was the original title of the album. This uh, piece of music was entitled Shifting Down. So you get the idea. Um, later on, this uh, date was issued under John Coltrane's name and called Coltrane Time. But it's a... Uh, one of those oddball dates in modern jazz history. And uh, I've heard a lot of criticism about this album, and it's really um, unwarranted as far as I'm concerned. There's some great playing on this album by all concerned. Shifting down, especially Kenny Dorham. Coltrane always sounds great anyway, and Cecil Taylor, well, it's Cecil Taylor, you know. We're going to take you to a club in Hollywood called the Renaissance, and it was one of the leading jazz clubs back in the day. Uh, this was recorded about 1960. The Renaissance was a great place. I was there only once, and I heard Miles Davis there, of course, which was I was underage, but I got in. Nice lady at the door. Um, she knew I was underage, too, but uh, I got in, and I got a great seat and heard... Uh, one of Miles Davis's greatest bands. Anyway, um, this isn't Miles Davis, but this is Red Mitchell, the great bassist, but he's not playing bass on this one. Red is a wonderful piano player, but here he is playing cello, plucked cello. And um, along with Jim Hall in rare form on guitar, Frank Strazeri on piano, Jimmy Bond on bass, and the great Frank Butler on drums. And uh, we're going to hear a couple of pieces to uh, take the show to um, a close. And we're going to begin with Jim's Blues. So here we go, the Red Mitchell All-Stars.
That's from a wonderful album recorded live at the Renaissance in Hollywood featuring Red Mitchell. And Red Mitchell played the cello on that. Now, Red is normally a bass player, was, uh, and a piano player. But uh, he shows the, uh, the cello on here and, uh, of course, led the band. With Jim Hall on guitar, Frank Strazeri on piano, Jimmy Bond on bass, and Frank Butler on drums. And we heard two um, blues compositions. Uh, the first one was uh, dedicated to Jim Hall and entitled, appropriately enough, Jim's Blues. The second tune was written by bassist Oscar Pettiford, and it was known as Collard Greens and Black-Eyed Peas. And that was the title of the second tune. And that wraps up another edition of The Jazz Show this evening. I'd like to thank you very much for uh, being out there, and if you're still up, yeah, good on you. And uh, my name's Gavin Walker, and we'd like to uh, wish you... um, a good week, stay out of the rain, be happy, and um, love yourself, all that kind of stuff. And we'll see you in seven days' time. Next week on our Jazz Features, a wonderful album that got uh, uh, dissed by the esteemed jazz critics. We're going to hear it on our Jazz Feature next week. It's by the great alto saxophonist Jackie McLean, and it's entitled Capuchin Swing. And we'll tell you more about it when you tune in at 9 p.m. next week, next Monday evening, for another edition of The Jazz Show. Take care of yourselves. Bye-bye. See you next week.